cooking where I start to feel really fatigued. It's pretty sad at the farmer's market, depending on where you live. We are done with all of the holiday excitement and it's starting to feel like winter is going to last forever. So today I wanted to talk about some of the ways we can kind of save our winter weeknight cooking. And one thing I think is really useful for people is just knowing what some of the ingredients are that you may already have in your pantry or already exist in the grocery store down the street, but can actually be used in some really unexpected ways to make your normal cooking routine just a little more exciting. You could call them secret weapon ingredients. You could call them pantry staples used in new ways. And so to help me out, I'm bringing in my winter cooking support group, aka associate food editor Kendra Vaculin and Hetty McKinnon, a food writer, VA recipe contributor, and cookbook author. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you've heard them before. So I'm going to welcome them back here today. Thank you both for coming on the show. Hey. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Kendra. Hi, Hetty. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you both back, Hetty. I know you were on back in the fall. We talked about meal prep, which was oh, yes. such a fun episode. One I of our that episode. Yeah, it was a real crowd and staff favorite. We all turned out to be anti-meal preppers, didn't we? <laughs> sort of, but it also ended up being really useful too. <laughs> yes. Now here we are though. I want to hear about what you both think about secret weapon ingredients. Like, is this a real thing? Is this a real helpful tool to have in a kitchen? Oh, absolutely. I think that term can mean so many different things, whether it's a go-to condiment or a pantry staple that can like turn anything into a meal. I think those items, especially in the doldrums of winter when everything is terrible and there's no fresh produce or interesting anything, those ingredients are definitely the backbone of my cooking and what keeps me going. I see tomatoes in the future. I see spring vegetables on the horizon and I just have to get there. And these are the ingredients that sort of help me bridge that gap. Yeah. How about you, Hetty? What makes an ingredient a secret weapon for you? Oh, flavor. Mm. Always. I mean, I think that my entire pantry is really full of secret weapons. So to ask me to choose just one is, you know, particularly because I'm vegetarian. So the meals that I cook are vegetable based. And I just think when you're thinking about vegetables, flavor is, and like flavor bombs, little things that you can add to amplify all the natural flavors in vegetables is just the natural thing to do. So it means flavor. And for me, it also means umami, which is the thing that I'm always chasing in my food. I feel like that word is so overused. Like we just use it to mean flavor most of the time. But what does umami really mean, Hetty? Well, it actually just means deliciousness. So <laughs> when I was growing up, my mom had this term. Have you ever seen Joy Luck Club? Like she loves the, yeah. the yeah. compliment. So when my mom asked us home homey, which means does it taste good? Is it tasty? So for me, when I'm cooking, cooking or when I'm creating any meal, it could be a sandwich or dinner for my family. That tastiness is what I'm chasing. And often it is umami that makes that dish extra special. I totally agree. And we'll talk about some of what specific ingredients are powerful for lending that umami quality. I think 
for me, a secret weapon ingredient has to be really shelf stable. Like it has Mm. to be something I can buy and shove to the back of my pantry. Okay. So let's talk about what some of these ingredients are for us. Who wants to go first? I can go first. I mean, I had a really hard time choosing just one, but I went with kimchi because Mm. I've always loved kimchi, but it really came to fruition during the pandemic. When we first got locked down, I went crazy and bought four jars of kimchi, (laughs) which you'd think would last you a lifetime, but I was trying to think of things that I could add to vegetables to add instant flavor. And kimchi just was one of those ingredients that lasts forever in the fridge. Well, forever. I mean, it can over ferment and get a little too funky, but generally it's just so good with whatever vegetables. And I found myself using it in such unusual ways because of our circumstances at the time. I just see it as this limitless ingredient that can be used beyond what its original use would have been or the way it was originally eaten, particularly in recipe development. Yeah. So let's go back to basics a little bit. Talk about really what kimchi is and how it's made. Yeah. So kimchi is a fermented food from Korea. It's usually made of napa cabbage. That's the most popular type of kimchi, but there's also many different varieties using radish. I've got a huge jar of radish kimchi in my fridge at the moment. And it's fermented in gochugaru, Korean chili flakes and salt. So it has that inbuilt flavor in there. And of course, fermented foods have those additional layers of flavor. So the hard work's already been done for you. And it's complexity, right? It brings real complexity to uh, weeknight dishes. Are there any store-bought varieties that you look for? So... I usually only use store-bought kimchi. I have made it before in the past, and I do make this fresh version of kimchi, which I learned at a Korean cooking class years ago. But on the main, I will use store-bought kimchi, and I buy it from my local market in Brooklyn. Kimchi Cooks, it's called. And Kate, the lady that makes it, has just opened a store in Bay Ridge in Brooklyn. And she also sells at the Park Slope markets and Greenpoint markets. And that's my favorite. And she does a vegan version. So I always buy a vegan kimchi. There's usually fish sauce in traditional kimchi. Is that right? right. So that's what makes it not vegan. Yes, that's right. And it's such a good tip. The farmer's market is a great place to buy kimchi. People might not think of that because it's obviously not a fresh produce, Mm. but it's a fermented product. A lot of local farmers make it now, but that's not to say that you can't also find it in your grocery store. Usually you find it with the sauerkraut in the general kind of fermenty, pickly pickly aisle. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. Near the pickles. Yeah. When my partner and I went to the Santa Fe farmer's market and got this really awesome jar of daikon radish and hatch chili kimchi, (sighs) it was so awesome because kind of wherever you go, you're going to find like a local twist on kimchi, which I thought was really cool. We could not leave without it. I was like, we're buying this kimchi right now. (laughs) I rely on kimchi a lot when I am out of produce. I need to have some vegetable in my meal of like rice and meatballs or like whatever else I'm eating. And it's just like use it as an ingredient in other dishes. Talk about that some more. I do. I mean, I use it in lots of different applications and not always Asian meals. But for example, 
There is this recipe that I did for myself during COVID lockdown that I then subsequently shared with Bon Appetit a few months later, and it's a kimchi and butternut squash mac and cheese. And Mm. I do believe it went pretty viral, that recipe, and it's just... It's just an incredible amount of flavor. I mean, cheese gives you a flavor, but it's kind of one note-ish, you know. But when you add in that kimchi, it just adds that spice, that funkiness, that tanginess. So that recipe is probably the way that we eat mac and cheese mostly in our house. Mm. Once you add that to your mac and cheese, mac and cheese just doesn't taste good. Without exactly, it. I absolutely agree. And that recipe is on bonappetit.com. It's from November 2020, so a ways back, but it's the one pot kimchi and squash mac and cheese. And we'll be sure to link to it in the show notes. It's amazing how good it tastes with cheese because it's not traditionally often paired with cheese. I feel like kimchi grilled cheese sandwiches are awesome. Oh, so like good. anytime you pair those two things together, it's just yes. magic. Yes. Our kimchi udon doesn't have cheese, but has a ton of butter. It just really does well with dairy. What else, honey? I mean, every family has their repertoire recipes, right? So one of our repertoire recipes is just a kimchi stew, tofu stew, very much riffed on kimchi jjigae. You know, I kind of make things on the fly and depending on what I have. So if I have a jar of kimchi, I usually just use that as the base with whatever alliums, usually onions. And then I add in soft tofu, silken tofu with some stock. Sometimes I add some miso just for extra flavor. Mm. But that stew in itself is just something that we eat a lot in our family. And my kids like it. You know, it's a no complaint dish. We make that a lot. In To Asia With Love, my latest book, which is an Asian inspired book, I do what I call sausage rolls. I was born in Australia, so we eat sausage rolls, which are meat, but these are mushroom sausage rolls. I'm doing kind of air quotes for the sausage. And a sausage roll, is it like a pig in a blanket? No, no. It's actually like ground meat. It can be lamb, beef, pork, and it's rolled like a puff pastry. It looks like a log. And in that mushroom roll, I put kimchi in there. And that Mm. just adds lots of intricate, delicate flavors that it doesn't taste specifically of kimchi. Like you could eat it and not even know that the kimchi is in there, but it just adds tanginess and a bit of spice, a little bit of background spice, which is always nice. Mm. Another thing that makes me think about with kimchi is that it's kind of two ingredients in one, right? Because you have the liquid and then you have the actual cabbage or whatever the vegetable is. And you can use just the liquid as a flavoring agent in some recipes. Yeah, absolutely. And never pour away that liquid because it's gold. You could just drink it if you had no use for it. (laughs) But we also do a kimchi fried rice. It's actually a sheet pan fried rice that goes in the oven. Mm. And then I use the juice from that to coat the rice and then mm. the kimchi gets spread out on the sheet pan and it gets crispy underneath the, the hot oven temperature. So oh, that sounds it's so, so good. good. Mm. Yeah. Okay, great. I feel like we did a good dive on kimchi. Kendra, you want to reveal your secret weapon ingredient? Yes. Like Hetty, I think 
narrowing it down to one is near impossible. I do have my go-to condiments in my refrigerator door, but in terms of a bulk ingredient that I turn to again and again, mine is frozen spinach. Oh, so good. If I open my freezer and I don't have a bag of frozen spinach in there, it's like (laughs) panic. It's like a security blanket to me. It makes me know it's going to be okay. I can have a meal. Something can be done if I have a bag of frozen spinach. I'm so glad that this is your ingredient because this is something I want to use more. And I feel like I'm a little skeptical because it looks so difficult. Mm. Like it's just this block and I'm like, it is, yes. it's going to be watery. <laughs> how, like, how long is it going to take to defrost? Yeah. Like talk about why you love it so much. Yeah. So I am like a person who, when I feel I've kind of veered off the beaten track of food for the day, like yesterday when I made a batch of cookies before breakfast and had seven before lunch and like, okay, let's get back on track here and eat like a human being then I need greens. And frozen spinach is great because it's not going to go bad. It's in your freezer and it's peak freshness at the time it's frozen. So you don't have to worry about using your whole bunch of kale or your whole box of arugula in time before it goes wilty or gross. This frozen spinach will be here for you. And I like it because it's an insane amount of spinach in a bag cooking down spinach, you are using six cups of fresh spinach and then suddenly you have a quarter cup of it's spinach left so in your sad. pan. It's like the it, saddest <laughs> thing. It just shrinks so much. And so 10 ounces, which is like a frozen bag of frozen spinach is usually 10 ounces to a pound, but that's so much spinach, which is great. It makes me feel awesome when I can make a dish that I know I packed a ton of spinach yeah. into. So are you buying those bricks of spinach or is it in a bag? Like how does it usually come? I go both ways. I'm an equal opportunity frozen spinach buyer. Whatever the grocery store has, I will purchase. The blocks are a little bit more space saving Mm. in your freezer if you, like me, have a lot of stuff going on in there. That's a good tip. I've also found that it really depends on what your end goal is for your spinach. I have found that I like the bricks because they are a little less stemmy. At least some of the brands that I've used, the bags have a little bit more of the mature spinach as opposed to yeah. baby spinach. The mature spinach stems are a little more woodsier and thicker and tougher. Usually you would trim off a portion of that when you're cooking. So if you don't want that in your final product, I think the box is the way to go. Let's go both ways. Let's talk about what are some of the soggy appropriate applications. Yeah. So I love making sog with frozen spinach, whether I use paneer or feta like Priya's recipe suggests, or I will just do it with eggs and rice. It's one of my favorite comfort meals because I can just dump a huge ladle full of it over rice and it's It doesn't feel like I'm eating a ton of vegetables, but I really am. And that is something where I will cook down onion and ginger and garlic first in the pan and then add spinach. And it can be gloopy spinach that's still a little wet from it being thawed. Cook that down a little bit more, add all of my spices, and then dump that all into the blender. And usually I'll add a little bit of vegetable stock or something to that to thin it out. And that is just so fast and easy and Honestly, fresh spinach is not even worth it in that capacity because you need so much of it in order to make a decent batch. And just to go back for a sec, this is Priya Krishna's sag with feta recipe from BA from a few years ago. Oh, totally. Is that right? Yeah. And for a recipe where I definitely think it's important to squeeze out the liquid, I love to make spinach into a frittata 
frittatas are one of my go-to clean out the fridge moves. Maybe I don't have a lot going on in my fridge or what I have in my fridge is like a little bit of cheese and a shallot and that's it. And I need something else happening. That's when I'll turn to my frozen spinach. I did a recipe for Epicurious that was a spinach and artichoke dip frittata, which is secretly so good. Good. Not to that toot my own horn, but amazing. It's really fun. And there's a bunch of cream cheese in it. It is the dip of your dreams, but in frittata form. And that uses a box of frozen spinach, which as long as you squeeze out all the liquid and then finely chop it, you never feel like you're getting a bite of spinach. You never feel like that leafiness in your mouth. It's just green permeates the whole frittata and it's a really delightful thing. It's beautiful and it looks delicious. But also just going back to the idea of spinach dip in its pure dip form, a great Mm -hmm. vessel for frozen spinach, I imagine. A hundred percent. Yes. Again, don't mess around with the fresh stuff for that because you're just going to have to buy so much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hedy, does any of this resonate with you? Are you a frozen spinach skeptic or buyer or? I'm obsessed. You are? Yes. I love the freezer and I actually thought about having frozen spinach as my secret weapon ingredient also. (laughs) But touching on what Kendra said about sag, I made sag just the other night and I still have the leftovers in my fridge. Mm. But I made it with tofu cubes instead because that's what Mm. I have. I make it a point to buy several packs of tofu at the beginning of every week. So it's the ingredient that I always have. But I used this incredible recipe that I saw Chitra from Brooklyn Deli post on her Instagram like the day before. And it blew my mind. I don't know if I'm ever going to make sag the proper way again. Well, I shouldn't say this isn't the proper way because this is Chitra's way. But basically she uses a jar of her her simmer sauce. So I think it was the cashew simmer sauce. Yum. This is going to blow everyone's minds. I used two huge packs of frozen spinach, which I had actually defrosted in the fridge overnight. Mm. So it didn't have all the ice crystals. I just put that in the blender with the simmer sauce, blended that up, heated up, put the tofu in. That's it. Yum. So there's no spices required. Because that's all in the simmer sauce. It's all in the simmer sauce. I must thank Chitra. I've been going in my head crazy. I want to share this recipe and it's on the Brooklyn Deli website. Yeah, being able to just throw a bag of defrosted frozen spinach in a blender is kind of like such a miracle and opens up this whole world of possibilities, everything from sauces like that to even probably pesto. I'm saying that not having tried it, but as long as you squeeze it. Nope, I've done it. I've done it too. I've done it. Yeah. There's a kale pasta sauce that you may have seen where you throw it in the boiling water and then take it out and blend it with a bunch of garlic and lemon and what have you. And that same vibe I do with frozen spinach a lot. And it is so good. If you just follow the same principles of a good yeah. pesto, a little bit of lemon, a little bit of garlic, some parm in there. It's a delightful pasta sauce. There was one other recipe that I wanted yeah, to yeah. shout out about frozen spinach. So in the February issue of Bon Appetit, there's this really awesome recipe from one of our food editors, Shilpa, called Spicy Creamy Chickpeas and Spinach. Mm. And this recipe is fully bonkers. When I looked at it, I was like, what? And when I shopped for it, I was like, this is crazy. It, every single, did you cross test? Yeah, it? I got to cross test it. And thank God, because it, it is so good. Every single aspect of it is a pantry staple basically. And so if you keep these things in your house, you can go from zero to 60. This dish happens so fast. It's okay. awesome. Okay. So here's what it is. You're cooking down 
shallots and then you add your frozen spinach and heavy cream and you create this like very luscious I'm already thick, sold a little bit <laughs> yeah a little bit lemony frozen spinach like creamed spinach but even thicker and then separately you mix harissa and chickpeas together and cook them. So you've got these spicy chickpeas, this creamy spinach, and then on top of those two things, you layer them onto a big serving platter. And then on top of that, you put fried shallots, like store-bought fried shallots, and jardinera, like uh, pickled, whatever, all the jarred Heidi pickled and vegetables. And I are like visibly and then, drooling right now. <laughs> oh, it's fully that. It's such flavor-packed layers and all the different layers are bringing something else to the table. And then she recommends that you serve flatbreads on the side. So Mm. you're scooping this mess of creamy spinach, spicy chickpeas, pickly peppers or cauliflower or carrots, whatever's in your jardinera, and crispy store-bought fried shallots all onto a flatbread, wrapping it up and eating it. Yeah, you kind of buried the lead. Like that was the one you could have just said that, and I would be totally on board. But <laughs> I know I'm adding to shopping lists now. Frozen spinach. Yes. Yep, a hundred percent. Okay, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we get back, we will get into my secret weapon ingredient. And after all of the delicious cooking tips, we will talk to Ken and Michelle, who own and operate Now Serving, a cookbook and kitchen essential store in LA, about the secret weapon cookbooks that you're actually going to cook from. Stick around. Okay, and we're back with Kendra and Hetty. So do you guys want to hear my secret ingredient? Yeah. Of what, so much I want to hear what's yours? yours. What's your secret weapon, Amanda? Well, you know, I really loved yours, Hetty, because kimchi is also one of mine. And I really loved yours, Kendra, because it wasn't mine, but now it is. <laughs> but I have to say what really saved me during the pandemic and even before, but I think I got especially creative with it during the pandemic is red curry paste. Mm. I mean, yeah. any curry paste is a secret weapon. My preference has been for red curry. And very early on in the pandemic, I and a couple other friends went in on a wholesale order from a Asian wholesaler that had pivoted to home delivery, as a lot of places did during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And Uh, so it was basically like H Mart delivered to your house, but you had to buy in bulk. So I didn't really realize what quantities I was getting things in, but I got 12 little jars of mastery. Yeah. And it blew my mind. I mean, it's not unfamiliar probably to a lot of people. You can find it, like I said, at a lot of Asian grocers. But before that, I had really only had the little red Thai kitchen jar that you can find at Mm -hmm. a bodega. And that stuff is good too. I use it all the time. Mm -hmm. But this curry paste just kind of opened my mind to what you could do with it. What do you use it for? So one of the first things I added it to were lamb meatballs. To the meat itself? I actually replaced my spice blend that I would normally use with like a couple tablespoons of the curry paste. And it lent obviously flavor, but it was moisture, some amount of moisture as opposed to just having dry spices. I don't even think I used an egg, although I think you probably could if you wanted like to have extra binding. And then I served it with rice and sort of a Thai preparation. Yum. And then I think it also is a really great marinade. Mm. I've used it on chicken. Like I'll just kind of do a little bit of oil and then rub it right on. And you can do it more dry style like that or make a kind of 
liquid marinade with mix the oil and some soy sauce or other type of liquid seasoning and then the curry paste. And then I'll put that on the morning of or even the night before if I'm like thinking ahead. I love that. I've also like, I feel like it was a really big eye-opening experience for me to think about curry paste the same as other pastes that I cook with all the time. Like if you think about curry paste like tomato paste or like Mm. harissa paste and the same ways that you would use those sort of concentrated flavor, scoopable, definite secret weapon ingredients, you can really just take one out and apply the next one in. And that technique of frying out your tomato paste for a long time until it gets nice and caramelized and dark when you're building your pasta sauce, that's another thing that you can do with your curry paste to achieve the same results. I really want to try using curry paste in a pasta, like a base, and then maybe ramen or some other noodle. Hedy, you're so good with noodles. I feel like you could figure out this recipe. Well, I actually have done a recipe, which is basically a red curry style risotto. Risotto. Brilliant. So I've used basically the small jar that you were referring to earlier of red curry paste, or you can use green too. And that is the base of the risotto. But it basically mm. tastes like a Thai style risotto. That's that so, is fun. so fun. I mean, I love curry paste also, and it's also one that I really see as one of my secret weapons because I think what Kendra was saying, to think of it as a normal paste, like every other paste, I feel like red curry paste is one of those things that went through like an identity crisis. Yeah, People don't see it as legitimate as other pastes, but for me personally in recent years, it's something that I use daily cooking, but also as a base to build flavor. So I use it. I love laksa. Laksa is like the national dish of Australia. It's, you know, you can buy it everywhere. And when we moved over here, we couldn't find laksa anywhere. It's like quite hard to find in restaurants. So I started making my own using curry paste, but I use it as a base to build extra flavor onto. So Mm. even though the curry paste Mm. has awesome flavor, you can use it to add more lemongrass, more ginger, more garlic, macroot lime leaves. And I think that's the real advantage of having something like that in your pantry. It's not only something quick that you can throw into a dish, but it can also be a base that somebody's already worked really hard to get you that flavor. Totally. It's like built-in flavor. And I love what all of these have in common is that they can be the star of the show or they can be the thing that you don't even know is there. And either way, they're kind of meal-saving ingredients. I'm adding that to my shopping list right now too, actually. (laughs) Thank you both so much. I feel so much better about the season and about my, my meal planning, my dinner planning after having this conversation. It's always a delight to have both of you on. So thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thanks, Amanda. I'm excited for dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Okay, so on the show with us today are two owners of the wonderful cookbook shop in LA. It really is a magical place. And they're going to give us some cookbook recommendations today because truly cookbooks are the real secret weapons of a lot of our kitchens. It's called Now Serving. And Those owners are Ken Concepcion, who is the chef de cuisine at Wolfgang Puck's Cut in LA. And he's also joined by his wife, Michelle Moncal. They're the co-owners of Now Serving. So Ken and Michelle, welcome to the show today. Thanks for having us. Hi, Amanda. So before we jump right into your secret weapon cookbooks, tell us a little bit about yourselves and how your shop came to be. 
Well, the shop's been open for a little over four years, and Michelle and I had had ideas about this while I was still a chef, and I'd been working in kitchens for almost 20 years, and we kind of wanted to do something a little different, but still in the food space and still in the great L.A. restaurant and food community. So when we were thinking about what it would be, the concept was always, where would Ken want to hang out on his day off? So it was always this idea of like a record shop kind of vibe where you would come and like hang out and like geek out about food. A safe space to geek out about food. I love I love that. Yeah. And it does have so much more than books. You sell ceramics and tableware and things from local makers, right? Yes. That was my way to be involved, I think. That was Ken throwing me a bone. (laughs) I cook, but nowhere obviously near to like what Ken can do. So it was like, what is my imprint in it? And so it was really important to kind of represent a little bit of the lifestyle and some of the other things, but also with the same care as how he selects the books. Yeah. So Ken, you're the book selector. Yeah. Okay. So let's dive into some of these secret weapon cookbooks. Ken, where do you want to start? I'm going to start with a book from last year that's one of our favorites. It's Gregory Gourdet's Everyone's Table, Global Recipes for Modern Health. So Gregory is, is a Portland-based chef. He's mostly known for being a chef contestant on Top Chef, and I believe he was just recently a judge on the last season. And I know he has aspirations to open a permanent location for Khan, a restaurant that reflects his Haitian heritage up there in Portland. And this book really has so much in it. I like to offer it up to folks who are looking for something a little bit lighter or they want to eat a little bit healthier, but still have, quote unquote, the chef's kiss. Are there any recipes from the cookbook that you just want to call out to kind of tantalize our listeners? He has this incredible upside down pineapple cake that is really stunning. It's also a really nice book because, I mean, how many did you say there was like over 70? Yeah, there's almost 100 vegetarian or vegetable based recipes in here. Oh, wow. Yeah. So a lot of times if somebody is coming into the store and they don't know what they're looking for, it feels like a matchmaking game. Yeah. So we like ask them a million questions. Mm -hmm. It's probably my favorite part of being in the brick and mortar is trying to figure out what's the perfect match. And I think that a lot of times you have people who need the plant-based or need a vegan recipe, but then somebody eats fish. It covers a lot of ground in one book. My line at the store is, sit with a book. If it doesn't make you hungry, then it's not the book for you. Yeah. All right, let's do another one. What you got? We're going to talk about Alana Kaisar's Aloha Kitchen. Uh, came out a couple of years ago. Aloha Kitchen, recipes from Hawaii. It was really the first modern book on food from Hawaii that we featured and really learned about the food story there. You know, the influence of the Korean immigrants, the Japanese population, the Filipino influence there. And it was really kind of fascinating to see a regional American cuisine that is immediately familiar to so many people, 
but is also very unique and has its own story. Yeah. And we have cooked from this book for a few years now, from her version of Mochiko Chicken to the amazing, like, Mac salad, which is the Mac salad of all Mac salads. Like, it's a carb dream come true because Mm -hmm. it has pasta, potatoes, and hard-boiled egg. It just is, like, a really warm hug (laughs) that will stay with you for a while. Oh, sounds so good. We've also made at home her butter mochi, which is... It's phenomenal. It's chewy, it's sweet, it's buttery. That thing you can kind of just leave out and snack on. Yeah, I love that. So I think we've got time for one more. You got another one up your sleeves? Thank You for Smoking by Paula Dispro. Fun and fearless recipes cooked with a whiff of wood fire on your grill or smoker. (laughs) Such a funny name. It's so funny. This cover of the book is really deceiving, too, because it has a slab of meat on it. And while there are a ton of meat recipes in it, it's not really the reason we love the book. What is great about this book is that sometimes you just kind of want to up your game, but you don't really know how to do it. And I think cookbooks that have larder sections are amazing. Say more about what a larder section is. A larder section is basically setting you up with a bunch of ingredients or pantry goods, whether the recipe's within their book or just like you want to throw things together. And so with a toddler, stuff like that is really great because there are going to be nights when you just can't have a fully composed meal and you're looking and you're like, what can we do to elevate this rice or this chicken or this salad greens? That's So you don't feel bored. So what are some examples from Paula's book that are these sort of secret weapon larder things that you make ahead of time? It could be something like as simple as smoked anchovy butter Mm. that you can put on top of a steak. Yeah, I mean, I think there's different ways to think about a weeknight cookbook because some cookbooks really are, this is a meal you can make in 30 minutes, but others are about setting you up for success by giving you these base recipes that you can then use in your cooking throughout the week. So that's a great compliment. I think a lot of families and what I tell people who come into the shop who have kids and who are busy or who are working, I mean, there's several types of people. There are the people who cook from the recipe and they follow it. They have to do everything and make it like a composed meal. And then there's people who go through cookbooks and want inspiration. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just the lifesaver of any weeknight cook, whether you have kids or not, is just setting yourself up. And it doesn't have to be a full-on meal prep with every dish made in advance, but just thinking a little bit ahead. So, And I love all these cookbook recommendations too. And I think it's important to recognize that just because a cookbook doesn't say weeknight or easy on it doesn't mean that the recipes aren't approachable. So thank you so much for coming, sharing your cookbook recommendations, your personal recommendations, and introducing us to the shop. Of course, it was great to be on. Thank you. Thank you to our guests, Hetty McKinnon and Kendra Vaculin for sprucing up our kitchen cabinets with some amazing and flavorful ingredients. We will include them and the recipes mentioned in our show notes. And thanks also to Ken Concepcion and Michelle Moncal from Now Serving LA for giving us all of the best cookbook recs. If you are in LA, make sure to pop into the store. And if you're not, check out their site in the show notes to order your book for delivery. 
Give our guests a follow on Instagram. You can find Hetty by just typing in her name. And Now Serving LA is simply at Now Serving LA. And Kendra is at Kendra, Kendra, Kendra. If you love the show, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps keep us food people employed. And you can follow Bon Appetit on Instagram at Bon Appetit Mag and on Twitter at Bon Appetit. Food People is produced by Bon Appetit in partnership with Pod People. Vishnu Vallabhaneni is our senior producer. Ginny Bloom is our showrunner. Madison Lusby is our senior production manager. And Morgan Foose and Jessica Jones are our associate producers. This episode was engineered by Trey Booty. The music is by DJ Newmark. June Kim and I provide editorial direction for the series. Special thanks to Matt Saab, Amy Machado, and Nico Steele. I'm your host, Amanda Shapiro. See you next week. Thank you.